It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. So we have this political candidate here in Canada, eventually running for federal office. He's running to be our prime minister. And he's talked about how he plans to combat the opioid crisis in the lower mainland of British Columbia, which is where I reside. And he says he wants to do so by having tougher and tighter border and port enforcement to halt the drug distribution process. That's cute. He thinks he can just suddenly take down the highly organized crime affiliates that run these ports? Perhaps a more uh, feasible plan to take down the organized crime kingpins in the lower mainland is just put them out of business with more permanent safe supply programs. That's it. That's, that's all you gotta do. But hey, what do I know? About drugs a lot, but uh, I digress. Caller 25 and their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Can you hear me all right? Uh, kind of. There we go. <laughs> yeah, there, there yeah we go. sorry, I've got my AirPods because it's a bit, um, a bit clearer. No problem. So you'll have a maximum of an hour. Yeah. No names, no exact locations. In your case, it's not hard to figure out at least approximately where you're from. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll let you get to it. Yeah. Tell me your story about addiction. And I'm, I'm 24 years old. I'm now actually nearly six months clean um, from all drugs and alcohol. Totally, totally clean. Don't even take prescription painkillers now, which is a total different change to what my life used to be like six months ago. I was a broken, broken woman. I've been using drugs and alcohol for 10 years nearly. Whether that started as you know recreational use, um, it, it did. From a young age, I was about 13, and I picked up alcohol because it's the norm. You know, everybody in the UK drinks, and I'm sure, you know, if anybody is listening to this who lives in the UK, you know, there's such a big drinking culture, and it's a part of being British, which I think totally needs to be smashed. So, yeah, I picked up alcohol when I was 13, and it was influenced by my parents. You know, I come from a, a, an alcoholic family. It was normal. And ever since I, I did that, you know, I thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. So, you know, time went on and I, I got into the wrong crowd. I got into recreational drug using. And it wasn't really problematic for me. I still went to school. Um, I, I got fairly good grades. I went to college. Again, I wanted to drop out and take this full-on lifestyle of drug using. But uh, I am grateful to my parents who did push me to move on to university um, but when I got into university, I had a lot more freedom and I found the more harder drugs. I got into um, the UK rave scene, hardcore, drum and bass, jungle, and I got introduced to free parties and raves. And that was where my using really took off. Although I had the love for the music, you know, the, the way the raving was is that the only way I could continue raving for, for days on end was to take loads of drugs. Um, 
I became a DJ. I got into the, the race scene. I got into DJing and, you know, the, the, that was it. You know, I was off and running. The drugs became free at that point for me. And I thought, oh, brilliant. I'm winning, you know. <laughs> get free drugs. I get to live my ego high of being a DJ and I love the music. So things were going great. It was only until about five, six years ago that the drugs became a problem. I would lose my jobs. I was losing jobs over my using. Um, it became every day. Um, I was becoming quite physically dependent on it. You know, if I wasn't using or drinking, I'd get withdrawals. So it became, you know, quite apparent that I realized I had a problem um, and that I, when I stopped, I had to do it in order to function. It became a functioning thing for me. And uh, I say I tried to stop using. Um, I don't think I really wanted to stop, if I'm honest. Um, it was only until the last kind of couple of years when it had become really, really apparent. Um, I'd got really heavily addicted on ketamine, to be exact. And I know a lot of people, you know, say, oh, it's, it's not a class A. You know, it's not a bad drug. I thought that as well. You know, I used to be addicted to cocaine and I, I thought I'd smashed cocaine addiction with ketamine addiction, which was just as bad. But I think I'd got worse or quicker with the ketamine than I did with the cocaine. You know, I'm not trying to belittle any drug over another drug because addiction is addiction at the end of the day. But ketamine is really where, you know, I would use that day in, day out, grams and grams and grams. I got into debt. I did hide it quite well from my family and I never got, you know, to the point where there was dealers smashing my door in, but I had people after me for money. And it, it got it got dark, you know, it got to the point where the drugs stopped working and I was only using the ketamine to, to numb the pain that the ketamine was causing. And it was no other substance would numb that. And that, that got really dark. You know, I don't I could probably can't I can't remember the last four years of my life realistically. I've got flash bits, snippets here and there. Um, but all I know is I, I wasted a lot of my time and I put myself in a lot of vulnerable positions. Um, being a young female under the influence of drugs, any drugs, especially ketamine and alcohol. Um, you know, I'm really lucky to not have been taken advantage of. Um, I, there's countless nights, days that I, I, don't, I couldn't couldn't recollect, and I put myself in in dealers' houses and crack houses and all sorts, you know, just to get drugs and make money to get drugs. I went to a point of selling my body um, online, you know, and I I went to the bitter ends of where I said I wouldn't go to. Uh, you know, all those, oh, I'll never do that. Thing. And I thought, you know, I'd wake up one day and I think, how the fuck have I got here? Um, until about obviously six months ago, I'd I'd had enough. Um, I actually OD'd one night, like one morning, sorry. And my mum found me, and I was unconscious, and she couldn't wake me up. And I got rushed into the hospital. This this isn't the first time I've been into hospital either. I've been into hospital loads of times. And I spoke to my mum, and I'm really lucky um, that she was able to fund rehab for me. Going to rehab was a way of stop the drugs for a bit, I'll get a bit of control and I'll go back to recreational use, you know, right at the beginning when it was fun. Um, six weeks of rehab changed my thinking and that's only down to, I went to a 12-step rehab, Alcoholics Anonymous, 12-step, you might think it's a bit godly and stuff, but I'm not from a religious background. 
And this shit works if you work it. To that day, the day I went into treatment, I have not picked up since. And that's due to working this program. I, I go to meetings, you know, and I'm able to live my life and not pick up. And I never thought that was going to be it. I was hopeless. When you were using ketamine, were you K-holing? Oh, Christ. Hell yeah. Okay, I figured. All the time, the sole purpose of me wanting to use was to K-hole, you know? Right. It was that to reach that state of bliss. So can you describe what a K-hole feels like, what it is? Yeah, of course. So when I first started using ketamine, I had no idea what it was like. And I actually hated it, believe it or not. So when I first tried ketamine, I was like, what the fuck is this? But I realized how if you, you could reach yourself on deeper levels. So one experience I'd had that I always kept trying to chase for years after I'd had it is I was sat in my bedroom at home and I was using ketamine. And I don't know, I just felt this whole wall around me just drop. And I just felt at peace. And I sat on my bed. And I laid there and I put some music on and I just went to another world. And it was amazing, but it's not real life, is it? I've also had experiences of K-holes in places where I was very vulnerable, um, raves, festivals, house parties, and it was traumatizing. You know, I couldn't move. I had people around me I didn't know and I had no control. So that was my experience, two different types of experiences that I've had. And it's, it's very scary. Very scary. Yeah, ketamine is a lot different than cocaine use, for example, which you were using prior, because it's really a lot less social. It's it's much more of a, a personal experience. So, yeah, a lot of my cocaine using was a social thing, um, and then eventually my cocaine using became an alone thing because, you know, I didn't want to share the drugs that I'd paid for. That was when I realized, you know, I've, I've got a cocaine problem here. Or, you know, and I was like, I didn't want to share my drugs. You know, I bought my bits and it wasn't lasting as long. And I started using cocaine on my own. But I didn't like how using stimulants on my own made me feel. You know, it's it's horrifying. The paranoia, you know, the, the creeping out the window, seeing who's watching me when there's nobody there. And that was when I found ketamine. Because I found ketamine and I thought, oh, my God, I can do this drug on my own and not feel paranoid. So, yeah, that was why I think I'd done that switch is that I'd realized that I could use ketamine on my own. But I could use it in social, at the beginning, I could use it in social situations and be all right. You know, if I didn't get to that level of K-hole, it was okay because it was like being drunk. But, yeah, I could use ketamine on my own and not experience that paranoia. And uh, it was, you know, it was the total opposite of what cocaine did. Get unstuck. In your addiction recovery with Melissa Armstrong coaching, go to strongarm.ca for more. So you've been substance free for six months. Yes. How does your life look different now? God. So yeah. So in that six months, before I came into recovery, I lived at home with my parents and I'd only just recently moved back to my parents because I'd been, I'd moved away to another city. Um, again, chasing drug highs you know I thought I'd, I'd never really felt settled in a place during my using I'd always move from town to town or city to city or move in with an ex like with a boyfriend at the time who was also using 
And it was like, you know, my life was very kind of temporary wherever I was because I knew that I couldn't stay in one place for too long before things got bad and I'd have to move. Um, and ever since I've come into recovery, I, for once in my life, I feel at ease. And I, I live in a flat now supporting myself and I feel at home. You know, I, I'm, and funnily enough, I'm actually in recovery in the town where I originally first become addicted. So it's crazy because I thought the place was the problem, but it turns out that I was the problem. <laughs> um, so yeah, to come to terms with that, that was, that was a big step. But yeah, my life has, has drastically changed. You know, I'm, I'm a productive member of society. Now I pay bills. I support myself. I'm happy. I don't wake up wanting to die every morning. I haven't got a, you know, I'm going to wake up in the morning and think, oh God, who do I owe money to? Who who might be after me? Have I, do I need to make sure I haven't stolen anything? Who have I got to apologize to? If I apologize, that is, you know, I wake up and I'm blessed. I've got money in my bank, you know, and I've got food in my cupboard. And at the end of the day, I've got somewhere to live. And I'm grateful for that. And I've got a really good support network around me of friends and people that genuinely care about me. Um, so, yeah, my life has done a total 180 since coming in recovery. And I, I, I've got so much more that I could lose if I ever went back to using. Now to backtrack a bit, you mentioned before the music and the drugs, you did genuinely have a love for just the music. Yes. So I grew up in a family, obviously, of um, my mum is an alcoholic, still is an alcoholic, but she, I mean, she raised me. she done a pretty good job considering. Um, and she used to be into a lot of side trance when I was younger. So even before I, you know, got into drugs and alcohol, I was very into the rave music, you know, trance, um, electronic dance music. And I love it. You know, I love all the old school jungle and things like that. Like, but when I picked up the drugs, I realized that it had obviously allowed me to listen to that music for longer periods of time and you know it gave me psychedelic experiences that I wouldn't I would never change but you know I, I it's not a manageable life at the end of the day you know the, the rave scene is known for you know clandestine venues and hypnotic electronic music which for someone in active addiction can feel like drugs and that environment go hand in hand yeah see see that 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 i understand and the, one of the gifts of recovery is that i can still go to these things and not use i know i am aware that there is a very heavily influenced drug culture around that and that is definitely something that i want to change over the years and i'm voicing and voicing you know I'm, I'm being more open about my addiction as a DJ now because I still DJ. Um, I'm being more and more open about, you know, the addiction and the recovery and that it is possible to be in those environments and not use. Um, so I went to this raid and I didn't drink and I didn't use and I had the best night, you know. It was amazing. You know, the light production is enough for, for me to go, wow. And I was sober. And I had such a good time. And the best thing is, is I spent zero money. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, I wouldn't suggest it to anybody in early recovery to go and do that. Um, and you need to be really strong, you know, and really understand yourself and check your motives behind going to these events. But 
again, I'm a lover of the music. I'm a DJ. I'm a producer. It's basically going to see a live band for what somebody else, you know, somebody who likes rock music um, that used to drink at gigs then came into recovery. It doesn't mean that they have to stop going to those gigs. They, they just need to arrest their drink or drug problem before they go back to that environment in a different headspace. And I never thought that there was a life worth living sober. I thought if I'm in recovery, I have to kiss goodbye to all the things I love, DJing, going out. You know, I'm, I thought I'd have to kiss goodbye to all of that. And I don't, I can do everything. And you know what? I realized I'll have a bloody better time sober and a lot of a cheaper time as well. Um, so if there's anything I want anyone to take from this, who might still be in acting addiction and doesn't want to throw in the towel because they're scared of a life um, in recovery and that it might be boring or, you know, there's no life out there for anybody who doesn't use or drink. There certainly is. There certainly is a life out there. Ravers seek sensory amplification and euphoric transcendence through a spiritual combination of dancing and drug use. However, there's something spiritual about the absence of inebriation. In this caller's case, it means that music is the drug. You can dance yourself happy instead of get happy to dance. I'm Quick Nick. And a reminder to do all those things on the interwebs, like like us and comment and all that stuff. And thanks for listening. Addicts in the Dark is brought to you in part by Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca.